Welcome to a mini episode this week on Ice Ice Beta. This is the first of a new series, the Community Spotlight, which is a way to celebrate everyday folks who are helping to grow the sports of ice climbing and dry tooling. You may have seen John Blackwood's shipping container project on Instagram. If you're curious like I was, this chat is about what he's up to. For John, his journey into dry tooling began with a quest for mental healing. The discipline has become more than a tool for therapy though. In his words, it's a passion, a lifestyle, and a path to personal growth. As a larger framed individual, traditional rock climbing presented challenges, but dry tooling opened up a world of possibilities. The deeper he got, the deeper he got, and he ultimately invested in coaching and built out his own training wall. In two years, he went from barely being able to hold on to tools, to figure fouring, to competing at the competition level. Through it all, it's been the tight-knit and supportive community that John appreciates most. Whether it's cheering each other on during comps or generously sharing knowledge, there's a genuine desire to foster a love for the sport. And John is certainly doing his part too. Before we get to our conversation, today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Forecast Equipment. John uses their tools and is connected with the team on a personal level. That's because they care about their customers. Marty, Zach, and Brian focus on creating products for climbers like themselves, which has led them to develop their do-it-all nor'easter. The tools handle everything from moderate snow gullies to steep and mixy to World Cup comps, and they come stock with Kukunogi picks, cheeks, and hammers so you can configure them to fit your needs. To learn more about their products, check them out at forecastequipment.com. How did Ure go? My goals was to make it to the structure, and uh, each qualifying round, I made it there. I ended up driving down. That was a, that was a long drive. Oh, wow. I kind of broke the traveled down there in half and then when i finally made it to ura i was able to i went i drove right to the parking lot got my gear on and i was able to watch uh the root setters finish up a few things and then they opened that area up again for a few hours which was was helpful because i ended up doing two laps on mighty aphrodite and, and at least get familiar with some of the rock and some of the holds and it actually jumped the confidence because it felt like a lot of the juggy moves on on that felt like the playground in Canmore. So I knew I was doing something right. However, there's many routes on that now. So neat seeing the new route and the new route was qual one and everybody basically on siding that one all the way up. It blew away my expectations as far as what I had for myself. The goals that I had I put in place were met and I think I climbed everything clean and just now I just have to work on pacing and gathering speed. And the only way to do that is to, to go to more competitions and expose yourself more to what it feels like for six minutes and what it feels like for eight minutes. Count the seconds between holds now that I'm learning. It's just the process. And luckily, you're, you seem to be building something that might aid in your own development because <laughs> you've got a bunch of shipping containers up there. Uh, so what are you working on? Uh, yes, I'm partnering with um, Johnny Corthius through Southern Alberta High Angle. He's got his own uh, arborist company. The whole space came about. He mentioned it to me long before, and I just didn't really didn't jump the gun on on thinking that way. But you know, as journeys progress and the more people you talk to, you're kind of met with when you're talking with people that are high up in this sport and been around for a long while. I totally get where they're coming from, and sometimes the stoke for new things and progressing things kind of it wanes a little bit and you ended up you end up just working on yourself so I understand that myself I'm 
I kind of always been an efficiency person, a data person by heart, kind of a techie nerd guy on the side. Telling telling some somebody that's super motivated that this can't be done sort of drives my mind in the positive way. It's just figuring out how you can bring training areas to environments and to your area in different ways. And I think that's when I finally clicked that this could happen because there he had a need for doing high angle work and high angle training and high angle just on his own repetition and the arborist uh, trade and, and really training and keeping the skills up basically. And, and my need was that I needed to go vertical. I have a climbing wall slash gym in my garage that I spend all my time in there. And, and sometimes horizontal movement is just repetitive work. I mean, it's still good work, but it's nice to get off the ground. So that's where that's headed. It's still in its infancy stage, I would say, but we are comfortable to, to post pictures and post, you know, how the build is going. I think what we have built so far is a very good idea. Now we just need to polish it a little bit because the cost is not, if it was part of a proposal to a company or to a sponsor or to commercial people to buy in, it's far, far below what a person would think it would be. Again, we wanted to make it easy access. You know, I think that's the goal where we're, we're looking to try and get it to. It's, it's got to be sustainable. What if what if places move? We, we, we need to move it. So it's like adult Lego right now. We're just trying to figure out how to how to get this structure up safe and working. And I think right now we're looking at private to semi-private. The last stages that we're trying to figure out, which are probably down the road from now, are is is the liability pieces to make sure that things are set in place so we can actually have people there and and stuff. But it's more about showing people that hey. Don't let other people tell you it can't be done. Get out there and work the problem. See that challenge. Partner with some people. If you have a group of people that are doing it in this sport, there's nothing wrong with a group of people coming together, keeping it in-house and actually building something for you to train. It'd be exactly if I was wanted to put a 16-foot to 20-foot wall on the side of my house. I'd have to go into negotiations with my wife, but it can all work. That's... The mentality we should be having it's not about the profit the profit will come we just need to get incremental steps towards the goal just to help the listeners visualize it because let's not assume everyone follows living forward on instagram so right now it's at the base container is 40 feet there's a 20 foot container on the top of that one it's overhung by three to four feet and then our goal is to put another 20 footer on top of that of course everything is going to be it's connected and together. We do have issues with high winds in Southern Alberta. So we're learning how to, what we can do and we can't do there. The goal is to build it right now with wood in mind, fastening to the structure. But as time goes on, as we progress with this idea, it's going to be switched out to metal, obviously. So 40 feet by 30 on the bottom with an overhanging back end of 30 feet. Sweet. <laughs> That's So that'll be like the only vertical training apparatus permanent installation in, in Canada? Because I know that Chris has been doing some 
dry tooling events in gyms, but nothing exists really that's permanent because I think the, they take them down um, every few weeks or so. I mean, there's a pile of work that he's doing, and I can't imagine the setup and teardown just for one event. I've been met with, uh, you can't have a team or you can't build a team if you don't go vertical. And okay, but for me, okay, I, if I'm going to complain about something, I want to I have a, three solutions to that. For me, that's progress. So that's the goal. The end goal is to create a structure that's not going to break a bank, have it go vertical, and have these pocket pop-up things that are safe, reliable, and that we can do training on. And all training. It's not just about this sport. It's it's exactly what my what my partner and friend is doing. And, and that is the key. Like, you can't get something done on one thing. It has to be multifaceted, like a Swiss Army knife. It has to be able to address multi-things out there. If it can be done in a sustainable manner that doesn't break the bank, then why not share it out? Why can't this happen across Canada? Yes, we're, we're a large country, just like the U.S. is. But for the cost of three containers and, and a whole bunch of things and, and, and having that spot, why can't there be walls all over the place? The footprint is actually really small. You could also probably sell it as like a tiny home. It's like a, a tiny home dry tool community and outside dry tooling gym. And then you just put it on the back of like uh, Mack trucks and you could just, it's like the, the dry toolers van life. That's part of the case. Like right now we're like his spot's not permanent. So how do we build something that can be taken down and moved and still be set up in a day? So that's part of the build and how we're trying to figure out how to attach things and make it, like I said, it's, make it safe. Well, it's very, I mean, that's very exciting because nothing really exists like that because it seems reproducible. It seems like it's relatively affordable. I think it can. I mean, it, it can certainly be built that way. I think it's just a matter of finding, engaging with an engineer and, and the insurance and making sure that, that, that there's some sort of protocol following in, in, in a setup. You know, there might be extra welding that needs to do once you're on site to build it. But again, like we're talking about containers that will go on trucks. You know, there's all the attachments that could, if it had to be moved, aren't aren't fitted in. They're not built into the design. They're exposed because for the possibility of movement. I think one of the really cool aspects of dry tooling is that it is a very like homegrown, literally homegrown sport because there are way more dry tooling walls in someone's basement than gyms available. It's like Instagram is the best way to find it almost. You just like see people like, oh, wow, it's like pretty nice three by six meter cave you've got down there. <laughs> and um, it's kind of like word of mouth thing. It's nice that you're going to be able to open that up to others. That's how it started, right? It started with me hanging. I thought I could just like hang a, a plywood piece off the rafters and it would be okay and with secured on the ground. And that would be my training space for, you know, starting. But uh, you know how it is. It really grew legs. And next thing I know, I was putting things on the wall. Then I had two panels. And then I didn't like the fact they were vertical. Then I put everything on chains, so it's variable. And then I started thinking outside the box. And then it's one of those things where it's like, if things from your house make it to the garage, will they ever return to the house? So then I was like, okay, how can I make more room? And then it's become what it is today. Hopefully by end of March, it's going to be 16 by 24 with a couple of roofs and a bulkhead under the door. So it's actually going to be quite a lot of space in there. That's like starting to rival the size of uh, the ice coop even. 
Yeah, I've never been there. I want to. You're probably one of the more psyched people <laughs> on dry doing that I've encountered. Like very obviously you're kind of going all in to the sport in your training. What attracted you to the sport? Like how did you get into it and what's keeping you so psyched and motivated to do all this? It all started like I, I left, uh, I was a police officer for 15 years and I left. I got accommodated out because of my my mental health. I actually started climbing when I was in my young, like 18, 19, down in Stonehill and in Cranbrook, BC, just across the border. Kind of fell away, joined the military and then joined the policing afterward. But the key is I needed, I needed an outlet. Like I knew going through a series of um, time off from work that I didn't want to get into alcohol and drugs where that's where a lot of people fall into. Don't get me wrong. The, the struggles are, are very real. There's times where I didn't, I didn't want to wake up in the morning. I didn't want to live anymore. So a friend of mine, um, Johnny Corthius, who now I'm now partner with, with this wall, he said, come on out, get out to what Crow's Nest Pass. We're putting up roots. And in that time, I was doing some photography video and I just came back, I came out and, and I was put in situations where I needed the focus. I needed to be switched on. And that became start of getting back into climbing again. Now that I say it, like climbing is the tool, another tool in my tool belt to help me cope with um, everything that I deal with on a daily basis to try and keep my, my mental health, you know, calm. And I really believe that that's the drive to keep going with this is because dry tooling is it, you, you have to have that focus. You have to have that mind body connection. And I really love that feeling. It helped me listen to my body more and being easy on myself and just enjoying that moment. Cause that's what it's all about. It's I've seen so much death and destruction in a short period of time that it's just life is better when you're laughing as the whole term is. And not every day is laughing, but I mean, just saying like enjoying those moments, not putting your energy anywhere else, but what you're doing right there. So getting into ice climbing was like, I can't afford to ski anymore because of ski racing and all the prices. What can I do? I ended up getting into ice climbing for like 600 bucks. I bought a pair of like quirks. Uh, my mountain boots were a hundred dollars. And the only thing I bought new was uh, crampons for 180. So whatever, it was all in. Ended up getting on ice um, with my good friend Morgan Fines, And he introduced me to all the routes around Southern Alberta and Canmore. Yeah, it just took off. Like how, like what else can I do with this? Like. How do I train for this? How do I get from WI2 to WI5, you know, in whatever? And then, of course, I read the mountain books, like the Training for Uphill, you know, all those ones. And, and it's just heavy influence. It's like, okay, if I want to do this, I'm going to have to, like, put some effort in. And when I finally dedicated and I found, you know, the competition ice climbing part of things, it was like, okay, well... Let's go. Let's see about continuing this training throughout the year and really giving it the time and energy. And at the time when I first started, I was 285 pounds and, and I couldn't hang on a pair of tools for, for, for not long at all. So 
now you're figure fouring. (laughs) (laughs) Back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, like I just I just love it. And Yuri was awesome in that aspect is because you you spend so much time watching all the videos that you can online, all the competitions. You see these athletes putting so much of the effort in there. And really you don't really see a whole lot of them. It's just it's just the time on their wall or if they made semifinals or finals and stuff like that. So it's like you gather that inspiration and you're like, okay, well, yeah, that's that's a level that's attainable. And I and I look at the South Korean team too as well. Like there's there's a lot of athletes in their fifties. And me being forty-four, it's like, damn, I could have if I put a lot of time in this, I could have a decent little stint in this. And then I was like, okay, well, as long as you can hang on, why not give it a go? Dedicating that two and a half years to solid working and, and I didn't know that it was gonna put me on that path towards this and I just again it was dry tooling to me they like you you have to accept the aloneness of it but I didn't feel like I was alone as I was in the policing world because the community is so so tight and so supportive they want to see you succeed they want to see you do well that's the drawing nature and then having positive memories from ski racing it's the same thing. Team environment comes in, shows up. You all put that time in on the course and everyone's cheering for you. Every sporting environment should be like that. That's why I'm looking towards now of how can I build that environment here in, in my city, you know, foster some growth and, and be a mentor to some of the youth that are that are troubled here and, and give them an outlet that can be a good example for anything that they want to do in life. If you're afraid of heights, I don't care if you're afraid of heights. Are you afraid of eight feet? You know, that's why I tell people. Just come and come and give it a try. You don't have to climb the wall. You don't have to do anything like that. It's like, get off the couch and try. Oh, you're not a runner? Okay, well, why, why not start walking? Go for 10 minutes a day. Where will I be in two years if I dedicated two years of training? What will I get on that goal? So, and it's to anything. I consistently studied biology for two years and I ended up with a degree. Well, you just proved it worked. So that's that's the level at which I want to bring to it. And I want it to grow. Yeah, there's it seems like a certain level of like reciprocity and giving back that you seem to hold dearly. It's interesting because the like level of adoption of the sport's quite in that early stage where it's it is so small, you almost have to cheer on <laughs> everyone else because there's no, I mean, there's nothing else to do. It's like, you're all friends. <laughs> you all known each other for like decades. And you know, the ones that have been competing for a while. From that perspective of like community, what was it like meeting IG friends or social media friends like in person for the first time? Or I don't know if that was the first time because I guess you were in New York as well. Yeah, I met a few people in New York. I finally engaged with uh, Tyler Kempney and asked him to if he would do some remote coaching. And so that, that's kind of how basically for like six, seven months prior I've kind of got help that way. He mentioned coming to your New York would be a setup for your A and meeting the, the boys from forecast equipment because they I bought access from them. And, and again, it's just like solidifying good relationships. And I know I didn't have enough time to meet everybody. So Yuri was actually like a great extension of that because then I met another section of people that I didn't wasn't able to get a chance to talk to uh, when I was in New York. Now knowing going to two things, I, I have to give myself a little bit more play on either side of the event because it was like flying to Montreal, drive down, spend the night, do the thing. 
get back in the car, go again. Like, but now I know that I have to give my time some leeway on either side, just for that, the fellowship of the people that are in the sport and, and enjoy one another and, and, and just be friends living in that moment. Who's going to be the first one to come visit you at the, uh, the nook? Who do you think? Actually, you know what? It's funny. Like a month ago, um, Masoto got a hold of me out of the blue. He's like, I, I want to come train before Edmonton. Again, I am honored and I, I will accept anybody in my house that wants to come and show up and try this sport and give it a shot. And having him, it actually turns out now he's bringing two more people uh, with him. So cool. that again, dude's strong. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to learn from people. Like, I think that's one thing that I, I hope to bring, even with that CCAN wall, is to have a training camp, have something where people collectively can get together and actually watch because I'm a visual learner myself. So being in the presence of people that are just at that next step, because that's how you learn is if you're here and you're watching people at this caliber, you're like, okay, well, I didn't think about taking that hold that way and maybe I'll try it and then whatever. It's just, it's about opening up, being vulnerable. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I, and I know this is going to be played down the road, but it's like, I, I'm super, I'm a super humble guy and I'm just, I just feel honored and humble enough that I would be asked if, if it'd be okay for them to come train. That's awesome. Yeah. I, can't, I can't wait to hear how it goes. So, so in your own progression, cause a lot of it was like self-directed and then you connected with Tyler, but you were building your wall and acquiring new holds and things like that. What have you learned in like your own progression as you've gotten into dry tooling? I think in the beginning, I was afraid to ask people. I'm, I'm just, this is just my own self. It's like, I, I value everybody's time. Even asking Tyler is like, I am a coachable person. So I know I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to put the effort in. Like, this is not something that I'm going to just do for a week and whatever. Like your time is important to me. And I think knowing maybe in the first stages, if taking that chance and not being scared to ask people uh, for help uh, would have progressed things a little bit faster. But in the beginning, it was like I'd watch a comp. I'd see how things were placed. And then I'd go out to the garage, do a reset try and do some things, but that really didn't come until like the fitness. Like it took six months before I was, I worked up the courage to drop into a figure four and actually release the hand. And then I think I nearly hit the ground. I was not expecting that. So it's just a matter of like seeing it, visualizing it and then like, okay, well let's go. Hopefully I got enough matting on the floor to you know, take a crash and, and and just progress from there. I, I've tried to save money and buy a certain amount of hole, like little holds here and there. So I have decent ones. Now I'm getting into making my own holds out of resin and, and stuff like that, just for cost wise. And my root setting knowledge is not there yet, but again, it's, it's all trial and error. I think that's, that's the best way. Like I, I just learned from watching and doing. Uh, I think it was Marty or Zach. That was Zach who he came and um, really offered some from forecast, and he he offered uh, some some knowledge on on figure fours because he couldn't he couldn't couldn't believe that I learned that 
just on my own, like the proper being high on the wrist and, and all that stuff. And I was like, well, I just watched what the pros were doing and, and made sure I was doing the proper form. So it's just interesting to see how that has progressed. Similarly, because, I mean, you've been going at it and sort of making things happen for yourself and then learning and then asking for help and getting help. But for others who might be in like a similar like early stage, do you have any advice for other people who might be looking to maybe try to create a, an installation or a dry tooling gym or anything like that? I think the power in, in your idea comes from collectively getting together and, or, collect, or just asking. Um, a lot of the stuff I just was trying to do on my own and I don't know where I'm going with this. Like I'm, I'm, st I'm a rookie here, you know, like that's it. But I've watched enough. I've seen enough been in the competition for, yeah, one competition, but I think I have a good understanding of what I need for myself to grow further. And the need is having a space having somewhere like I, I have a, tried to approach the gyms here and you know, it's, it's not a great idea that's accepted yet, which is okay. That is what it is, but that's not going to stop me from developing. If you just stop because someone said no the first time and then we wouldn't be anywhere. So reach out. If I am always willing to have a conversation about this, I wish I had more people to talk about this because it's just, it's just fun. Like that. And that's the whole point. You know, you, you got to have fun. It can be challenging and hard. You can have a bad day doing it and you can have a bad session or you didn't place well in a comp, but deep down, did you have fun? Yeah, I did. Did I make it mid-grade in, in Europe? Yeah, like at least I wasn't dead last. But at the end of the time, I, I had a blast. And that's the whole point. If I get higher up on, on placements, fantastic. If I don't, fantastic. It's all about living in that moment because that's the main thing because I know from experience your life can be cut short in an instant I've seen it and being in that moment is the most important at least to me if people want to get involved I don't know if that's an option or if they want to support what you're doing um, how can how can they do so I do a lot of I think I live on Instagram it's the only place where I, I don't have to be bombarded with a whole bunch of garbage from Facebook and stuff like that. So I'm on there. It's living.forward. Get a hold of me. I've approached a few businesses to sponsor a set of holds. And when I say that, it's like, well, how much is that going to cost me? I'm like, it's a hundred bucks. I buy my epoxy from Michaels and I use a 40% coupon. Cost me $104 and I can get four pours out of that, out of those bottles. And it, it produces 28 holds. When you're starting a project like that, that goes a long way. Anything and everything will help. If you have a chunk of land that you're not using, reach out. Our goal is to get another sea can. Like we're, we're searching for another sea can to make it, because right now we're happy with the 20 feet that it's at right now, but we, our goal is to get it to 30 so we can lead and practice that. The next thing, sea cans in Alberta are expensive. They're 3,500 bucks. And I think if we do a drive and, and we're very transparent to what our costs are and that's where your money will be going. Even with the neck here in the garage, it's the same thing. I want to get new mats. So if you come in and pay a drop in, you're my friend and you come in and donate 10 bucks. Well, that's where your money's going to go towards eventually. 
I've seen people on GoFundMe do that. I think that's a brilliant idea. Lay out your itinerary or your what you're trying to strive for and see see what happens. I know people are generous, but then again, I know this is a tough time for a lot of people, at least in Canada. I don't have any expectations there. So if people come out of the blue with, with help, you made John very happy, you know, and you'll get a humble person that will appreciate you forever because this is, again, it's building something that's going to help the community. I don't know. I just, leaving policing was, was the hardest thing that has ever, I don't think anybody when they start knows that they are going to be hit with, you know, PTS and, and, and garbage. And I feel like I, I've always had a need and, and a want to help people. I feel like that was ripped away from me. I think that's another reason why that I'm trying to make dry tooling more of my lifestyle and, and be involved and be passionate and, you know, share. It's because I just, I think people nowadays with, way the world is going. They, they need mentors. They need people that are real. Like I'm a real person. I post the bad with the good. Like it's not like this cliche Instagram page. Like you want to know how much work I put in? Just go on Instagram. Look, scroll through it. Dude works I mean, hard. It's, probably, it's 4 a.m. running. Well, because that's what it takes. We have to be realistic and we have to be real to one another. And I'm not, I'm not a fake person. Like I want the best for everybody. That's the main goal. Like I, I still have a need and a want in my heart to help. I don't think that's ever going to go away. It does seem like the sport attracts, or it's conducive. It's conducive for working through some trauma and things like that. It's about not being afraid to reach out. And when you're at a better spot than someone still going through stuff, you have a ton of information and a ton of support that you can offer them. And a lot of my journey through this is, was blazing that trail in our own police service because it's still a stigma and still not looked at. It's fr- it was frowned upon. I felt alone. I felt horrible. One day, I hope they have it worked out. I'm thankful every day that I'm not there because I knew I would have been, I, I knew I would have killed myself. It, it, it was inevitable. I was, I was going down that road. And that, that's a horrible thing to say and such a selfish thing to say, but... When you're tormented by the absolute garbage that you see, you don't have a a good outlet or a good way to deal with things. It's just, I know where that hurt comes from. When I, when I hear people say that, the first thing I say, I, I feel you and I validate every feeling that you have because I've been there, you know, and I usually give them a big hug because They're not alone in this. And that's the main takeaway. Perhaps dry tooling has had a big impact on your own life, and you dig what John is up to. If you'd like to support John's projects, you can donate through PayPal. His email is sprecken at gmail.com. That is S-P-R-E-K-E-N at gmail.com. Money will go towards holds and construction materials. You can also follow along with his journey on Instagram at living.forward.